this is Salutations, whatever you want to call it. We're going to call it. Hello, welcome to Warp Celluloid. I'm Jack Rourke with my co host, Adam Williams. How's it going, Chandler? What is the world like in your end of the world? How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. You know, it's the weekend. Just chilling. About to take a nap, you know, later. So, big and moves happening. Finally, come and gone. So, oh, yes. A good weekend for chilling and whatnot. Oh yeah. How about yourself? Chilling. Uh, it's finally October, and uh, as promised, we are going to do a whole Halloween spate of episodes. So, starting with Chandler, what will we be discussing today? Today we'll be discussing Hour of the Wolf. The Hour of the Wolf is the hour between night and dawn. It is the hour when most people die, when sleep is deepest, when nightmares are most real. It is the hour when the sleepless are haunted by their deepest fear, when ghosts and demons are most powerful. The hour of the wolf is also the hour when most children are born. is the time that I am that a cardinal sin as a film nerd. I am not terribly familiar with Ingmar Bergman. Just kidding. Now, that's that's okay. Alright, alright, I'll go to my corner of shame. <laughs> no, that You can see me when I'm like huddling into the corner, in the corner with my <laughs> guts cap on. <laughs> I'm, I mean, obviously I know who Ingmar Bergman is and I get his style like a general just like I've seen The Seventh Seal and I've seen this, but like I'm largely still need to go through the rest of his body of work. Yeah, I I knocked out the majority of his films during the quarantine actually, like the initial quarantine when I got uh, the Criterion Channel <clears throat> sponsored by the Criterion Channel. 
Uh, so that was a lot of fun and this was one of them that i watched and i was like wow we need to do this for the podcast um in october but uh yeah pers- i would yeah we'll, we'll we'll get back to we'll get back to Bird- birdman's work as a whole um later but yeah i think the- he would more authority on that than i am because again i've only seen like two of his movies and uh while doing research for this i actually stumbled on a really interesting note this was the movie he made directly after Persona, which many consider his masterpiece other than The Seventh Seal. Seal, but also he cons- that uh, Bergman considered that more or less uh, direct response to that film. I was wondering uh, if you had anything to say about that. Interesting. That's a that's a that's a interesting fact. You can tell in his filmography that like everything was different after he made Persona. Like he didn't make a movie the same way. As he did like before Persona, it it it, it was a game changer. It was and, a um, what's the word? A demarcation line, a line in the sand. As yes, well. absolutely. It's sitting on my desk right now. I'm looking at it, and uh, wow, it is. It's in, it's definitely my favorite film of his. With this as a close second, but uh, Persona, it's like it's like the lighthouse, but a female version with Shutter Island thrown in the mix. Um. Truly a masterpiece. I'd have to, which is weird, because judging most, or just based, again, based on pure conjecture here, this seems more directly similar to The Lighthouse, and how did I not put together that Ingmar Bergman was such a big influence on, on Robert Eggers with that film, because or in good God, or in God, just, or in, like, the scenes, the way he shoots the beach is in everything, and the use of silence, or in silence and close-ups and, and interiors and blocking. It it's also similar, but not in a way that feels, but in a way that feels genuinely inspired. Yeah, I saw an interview um, with Eckers. It was actually on the A twenty four podcast uh, where he was talking with Ari Aster's, um, and they just had a conversation about Bergman. Like that was the majority of the podcast. They were just talking about you know their love for Bergman, um, which was very cool. Um, but yeah, he he was a big influence on him. Um, and you, yeah, you can see that in the lighthouse. Um, I'd say, like particularly, particularly, like the biggest directorial um, attribute that he has that's like most noticeable is like how he shoots his subjects from far away. That's I mean, a very. I also say the um, what I call the standard Bergman two shot. You know, the one where there, where there's two people both, and both their faces occupy two halves of the print. Frame. One is on the left, looking to usually looking towards the right, and the other is like half their faces obscured by the by the camera and just like staring forward, and they're just having a conversation. Yeah, extremely efficient. It's even been parodied, and for God's sake, it's in '90s cartoons like Animaniacs. I'm like it, right? It's one of his biggest trademarks, from what I can tell. Nice. Yeah, he he has really efficient um, efficient shots. Well, where there's like so much information conveyed. I'd say more distinct on it. Like I don't yeah. think I, I can think of anyone who block who blocks conversations and shoots them like that. This because it can be kind of off-putting and jarring at first, but I think it, once you settle into it, it get, gets into a really um, interesting rhythm, so to speak. Yeah, and it it adds to like a minimal cutting um, vibe, which I always love. Um, minimal. It, I think that's or one of the few cases where I don't mind the slow pace. Thing, honestly, because it just lets you settle in to it easier. Yeah, and you can see both characters simultaneously and like, like see the, their reactions. Really, let needs you to be able to. I don't want to say on board with it, but at least or at least on the same page. 
Yeah, you gotta uh, develop the patience. I think, and I also think minimalist is probably the best term for or to describe his work as a whole. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, he anyway. he reuses the same actors almost yep. all the time. And speaking of which, we already mentioned Max von Sydow in our tent until the end of the world episode. Feels fitting that we're revisiting him, him again here because if I'm mistaken, the Seventh Seal was the role that made his career, in career and got one or established a relation, a working relationship with Bergman, but also in, in several, and I do mean several, considering how his um, filmography includes over a hundred credits, filmography, or in films to follow. Wow, yeah, that is impressive. His face is just so iconic because of yeah, the Seventh Seal. It's distinct too. It's just that long, long thing. I'm like, it's just. And you, funny you mentioned Shutter Island. He pops up in that, too. Funny. Oh, really? Yep. We're also going to mention him again the third time this year when we talk about the David Lynch dude, which uh, we might end up having to postpone now that that got delayed. Oh, really? Yeah. Next October. Oh, damn. Tap dancing Christ. That's horrible. It is what it is, and quite frankly, I feel like I should have I seen this coming. I didn't. But, uh, or anybody who, oh, well, it is what it is. Anyway, back to or into the topic on point. It's interesting you bring on the lighthouse, which probably an obvious source of comparison, but not an inaccurate one. One, and also I think it's worth mentioning because this is Bergman's only horror film. Yes, and it's actually originally spawned from uh, some recurring nightmares he had, and and before that, actually, uh, the the film he was going to make instead of in Persona that he actually ended up abandoning was a script called The Cannibals or The Man Eater. I mean, Man Eaters, which he abandoned one because he found more interest in an persona at the time, and also he caught a bad case of pneumonia. So, you know, we know that kind of puts things in perspective. Like, maybe I should take a break from this for a while. Well, that's that's a fun fact. Um, well, not also fun, the, this, I mean, it, unfortunate I don't think fact. Context in which pneumonia is considered fun. Yeah, yeah, but it's a uh, an interesting fact. I'd also consider another parallel between this and the lighthouse is the setting is very similar like that the rocky island you know the, the, that has more emphasis in um the lighthouse this is more like a, a little more variety or into its settings which not not a negative in a slide on that i just think that it's one of the things that separates the two like right it's so weird to see a gothic castle in an ingmar bergman film but man is it cool oh yeah and he he had his own island he lived on i'm pretty sure he lived in the house that persona was shot in um, and it was Bergman Island, really? and so yeah, and so he shot a lot of his films there, which is very cool. And you know, it's cool to have your own island, I guess. I mean, how? I mean, why wouldn't it be? I, if I had my God, imagine what I do with my own island. Probably just have, or and probably just drink beer all day and read comics along the shorelines. <laughs> legit. Wasted away again in Margaritaville. Anyway, back to more uh, <clears throat> high-minded subject matter. High-minded. Right, right, I think I mentioned the castle specifically because it's not a big part of the movie until the, the end, but it's kind of looming, lingering in the back of your mind once it's introduced. It reminds me. I watched this in Carnival of Erno's Souls in the same week, and uh, both, I think the Carnival and that Erno film in this play a similar function in that they're bo- in both feel like escapes from the chaos, but ultimately temptations to drift exacerbate their madness and make their situation all the worse yeah that's really well put um yeah carnival souls is also very much worth checking out is it david lynch said it was a big inspiration for him 
for him. It's got some really striking imagery. Imagery, thankfully, it's in the public domain, so it's not hard to track down. Nice. I just just wrote it down. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, it's let's, not as um, artsy as this, but it is definitely experimental, though. Though it's this is a lot, I mean, that one's a little just a little more concrete, but it's even more vague because it's it's not dialogue heavy at all. This is which contrasting this, which is very dialogue heavy in spots, yeah, yeah, which I which I like that because in some spots there's no dialogue for like what seems like five or ten minutes, then it's just like you know, five or ten minutes. I think silent, I remember uh, I was in a history of film class. Or in class, and uh, one of the classmates thought, or in the fact that uh, Fritz Lang's M didn't have so, or so much talking to it, made it very uh, stagey. Which, okay, that's a take, but I think silence shows a real maturity in storytelling when used right, of course. Yeah, yeah, like you don't need to rely on dialogue to tell your story. Action speaks louder than words. Weird that this is Bergman's only horror movie because the guy he. One strength to him from what little of his work I've seen, it's mood. It is a very, very strong mood. Yes, yes. Um, very, like, you know, gloom and torment, um, I, would, I would say. Like when, when, Don't want to say, the... I would say oppressive, but it feels more subtle than that. More creeping. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, especially... Like this... on the horizon, not... It's never overbearing, though. It's never... Yeah, yeah. Especially, I would say, in, in the scenes where they have to stay up all night, and it's just them two, you know, like, telling each other stories. Um, un- very unfortunate stories, but stories. And then he's playing with the with the um, the matches. That That is just so beautiful, those shots. Yeah. I'd also really like the camera work in the dinner scene, which, uh, honestly, this movie actually might have been a breakthrough for me, because... I think this finally got me to this and uh, Seventh Seal finally got me to appreciate muted tones and when it comes to black and white film because my long stated rule of thumb for black and white is if you're gonna shoot this, shoot it high contrast so it looks beautiful. But then I realized, like, you know what? Maybe you can actually get something beautiful out of like some lighter grays. Yeah. I mean, like it doesn't because I always thought that was like looked lazy, but now I re- I'm finally realizing that could be used to convey something a little softer, maybe a little harsh. Sure, like there's. Maybe not have such stark contrast. I love high contrast imagery, for the record. But I do think, but I do see a benefit to lower con. contrast, more muted image, is within the right. Form should follow function, in my opinion. And like, do choose the right way to tell the story visually. And I think this work for this. It works. Like, yeah, no, I I agree. I also wrote a note down about the dinner scene. Um, like the, the camera work in the del- in the dinner, dinner scene, especially that uh, like the opening three sixty around the table. I was gonna which... say that's really disorienting in the in a good way. Oh yeah, it's perfect like, for the scene. It, it throws you through a loop because it's so stylistically different from the rest of the movie. It's yeah. Right, I mean, I, well, that scene is too. You know. Yeah, I think it's supposed right, to be jarring. It almost becomes like House on Haunted Hill or something. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, a good, a good ho- public domain horror movie. Got Vincent Price too. Back to what you said about the um, you know, the black and white lighting. It does go full on chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro. Excuse me. Chiaroscuro. I think. In the end, in the end of the film, like when, once you it get is. Into it. when they're in the like the tunnels or like the the lower part of the castle, mm-hmm. it's the uh, you know, super high contrast, which looks 
awesome. Yep. I just realized we are almost like I don't know, fifteen minutes into recording. We didn't even tell people what this is about. <laughs> I I would assume that they've seen the film if they're listening, but we can yeah, we can give a rundown. Yeah. You never Sorry, know. Guys. <laughs> it helps establish context. And I'm not sure if the trailer is going to help matters. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to do the recap for us? Um, it's about a husband and wife. The husband is an artist, and uh, both of them slowly going insane, or insane in the midst of um, in the midst of this uh, country, Swedish countryside. And also, there's a mad cast castle. And when it comes to when it gets late at night, or at night they should, or they um, get get really intimate and share the. In, in memories that are pain, in stories that are usually quite painful but very interesting, alluring. Yeah, and then, um, where you just kind of have to see it to believe it. It's really hard to describe or inscribe Bergman in in ways that actually live up to it, or feel accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the husband is tormented by these nightmares of these, you know, crazy sounding characters that. He drew, which I, I love, like, the that scene where he shows her the drawings of the people he sees in, in the dreams, but we don't get to see it. I think that's a I great... Like that There's a really interesting... And the one time the tell don't show, or show principle doesn't apply to this, because it, the, this has a very novelistic quality to it, which I think it also shows the lighthouse. Although yeah. that... Well, if this feels... Or in, if that feels draw, or in drawn for something like, I don't know, or in well, Lovecraft feels too obvious. Let's say Herman Melville. Yeah, Melville. Or in work. Or in works. This feels drawn from something a little more, um, a little more rustic and a little, or in less intense. I don't know of an author to uh, pair that with, but yes, I completely agree. Neither do I. So I'm going to we're going to move past this before <laughs> my uh, intellectual posturing exposes itself. <laughs> yes, I as well. Uh, my next note is a, uh, you know, we're still in the very beginning. Of our notes, but uh, I wrote that Bergman is the Swedish Hitchcock. Care to elaborate on that? I'm quite intrigued. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think every country has like its one director where they're like, yeah, we That's got him. Famous and like associated with them. Yes, and without a doubt, Sweden has Bergman. That that is a per- totally fair statement. I think, quite honestly, pretty accurate. Yep. Anyway, anyway, I think that there's a lot of it. You mentioned that they they don't show the drugs, which is actually, I can see this being frustrating in other movies, and but here it works completely. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 leaves it open for the twist in the end. Um, that the people. Wow, I found myself. I watched this like really late at night. Which oh nice not the not the wisest thing because I was exhausted after a long day but you know what I mean I ended up I didn't really stick to my guns because of course I pay attention to any of these movies for the podcast and I ended up kind of it kind of lulled me into it it reminded me about a year ago I went to a horror movie festival and uh, the last movie we kept it went from uh, eleven eight in the morning to midnight like the last movie we capped it off with was uh, the Cabinet of Dr Caligari with a live or in score by a band called, I think, Juju, X-I-U, X-I-U. That's how you spell And And I remember it just feeling like this droning, creeping dread. And I'm like, this this thing where I was just constantly lulled back and forth and in and out of consciousness. It was a very surreal, very ominous, but really enrapturing experience. I 
to a lesser degree, I had the same thing with this. Interesting. That yeah, that, that usually happens with me whenever I watch movies super late at night. Yeah, late at night is best for horror movies. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, later on when I get to the uh, you know the the seventies horror collection, I want you to walk me through that. Yep. Um, you ever seen the Evil Dead movies? I have not actually. We need to watch the Evil Dead movies. All right. You don't see it, listeners, but I'm currently running, running, running into my closet desperately, grabbing both of my Blu-rays of Evil Dead Warrior 2 and Army of Darkness, and just, like, tossing them at Chandler. <laughs> Ow. <Yes. laughs> the first one's on Netflix, though, which makes me happy. Which makes... Yeah, all right, cool. Anyway, um, Hour of the Wolf. Matter at hand. Another, note, another technical note I had was, like, the opening title sequence... It, it the audio for it was like what we think is you know just on set audio so you can hear so many things going on and you know the first ad is probably that home. is an interesting choice but i'm it, i'm really i'm not saying it's a bad choice or an anachronistic one or one but i'm really struggling to think of how it relates to the rest of the movie thematically i don't if think it does or something then i'd be Everything Fellini makes is a, in, a, in broad terms, uh, metaphors for filmmaking, but this does not seem like it has the same, uh, same pretense. Yeah, it it made it feel more like a movie, if that makes sense. Like, okay, I'm watching a movie. In fact, that is initially jarring, but it, I mean, it honestly is more. It's more like when you hear. Actually, now I think of a good per- comparison for it. And I was thinking of back to uh, the original Fantasia from from the forties and. Uh, there's parts of it in the opening where you can hear like the or the orchestra tuning up and getting their instruments ready. I think yeah. it might be something kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, but it it took me out of the like film aspect, like the the immersion of the film a little bit, which I think it, it was supposed to. Going. But uh, very very interesting choice. Yep. Another interesting technical choice of this film is that they show the. Um, Title cards twice, but I was just about the to second that, time yeah. is right at the midpoint. Yeah, it, it's interesting. If it, I was actually expecting that to happen more often, is like a re- repeating motif, kind of like a tone poem. Like it only happens like one, it's once in the opening and once in the. And speaking of recurring motifs, uh, the film book book ends with an interview with the uh, wife character. Yes, it does. Touch and gives it a. I almost say documentary. Yeah. The original uh, Bram Stoker's text for Bram Stoker's Dracula, where that is more written like journal entries, and so it has a, a very, um, very uh, personal, or in first person. Shit, my words are failing me. No, it's okay. Like an like an interview kind of. Intimate. Intimate yes. I think is the best word to describe Bergman's film or in filmmaking style. Absolutely. Yep. Is how much range he gets from it because here it is mine. Used to mine maximum discomfort in some scenes. Oh, totally. Uses silence, mm. static, long, and long static, which I actually realize I really come to appreciate. Long, long takes that aren't very showy, like ones where the not ones where the camera's constantly moving. You're seeing the information constantly, like the like the diner bit in Goodfellas and the or the opening credits of Boogie Night Nights. You know the ones I'm talking about. Stuff like this where it's really held back. Back and like you almost forget shit. The camera's been running for like five minutes and I haven't even noticed. Yeah, that is honestly the more impressive kind of long tape. Oh, absolutely. There's so much more immersive, and you 
like exactly I'm like, it makes yeah you you're watching and it, it makes the acting feel more impressive i guess that they can go on for yeah, that long focus on that yeah exactly they're um and i'm not trying to the more long takes when those are done right they're amazing but there is something to be said for the less is more approach of these yes yes um pta has a, more... has a good bit of them um he, he he does a little bit of both. He does, I mean, like obviously the Boogie Nights one I mentioned earlier is more the showy end, but there's a, also one yeah, that yeah. ended up to the, the oh wait I forgot the camera was still run, running. They haven't cut it all. Yeah, I think like a few scenes in Inherent Vice where it's like just a push in. It's just one push in, just one, you know, and that that's the whole scene. There's a great um, video on There Will Be Blood that I I think I mentioned before, or before either on the show or off the air. Right in the air where I'm, I mean, where they t- a dude looked right through the amount of cuts and shots in There Will Be Blood, and there were like less than a hundred cuts in the whole movie. Oh yes, I have seen that video. Um, yeah, fantastic film and great video. Um, yeah, I I I I am a big fan of minimal cutting. Um, yeah, I think it again form follows function and what not. Right, if it fits the story, then go for it. Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Oh, now I think about it. I mentioned the fact that this evolved from an from an unproduced script that Bergman wrote, wrote and abandoned in like a couple of years prior. I want to read what that one feels like because it this feels like actually it was basically a reworked version of that. But I want to know what it lo- looked like originally, or what he had conceived. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, yeah, that's interesting indeed. Hmm. Stroking Shin, Shin with a pipe, <laughs> pipe in hand, like the astute film watchers we are. Mm, yeah. Indeed. Use our criterion shows like like rich gentlemen perusing their wine cellars. Mm, <laughs> yes. Yes, that is. We us. do live in a society. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm done with the dumb voices. I'm done. <laughs> um. All right, I have a, I have a, I have a question for you about the film, like story wise. Okay, I think of two instances, like why the the husband deserved like the ending, and he like why he deserved, or three actually, dang, like why did he deserve what came to him, you know? Because he wasn't because he was kind of a dick to everyone around him. Yeah. Yep. I think I think it's because he slaps that dude. I was gonna say, say like the dude in the middle, I mean, or no, the forest. Or like he comes out of nowhere, or nowhere. He's like, shit, shit. Did this guy just snap? But like in the in the husband's defense, like he he couldn't really tell if this guy was real or not. You know, if he you was know, just asking a lot of the more questions, like whether the boyfriend deserted at the end of Midsummer, which we're supposed for the end of Midsummer. Right, but I'm like, it reminds me of conversations around that. In that everyone, right? Like, no matter who you're asked, you're usually gonna get a very interesting answer. Yeah, yeah. A very different answer from person to person. I think the husband does deserve it in this film because one, he slaps the guy, and then two, he kills that kid. You know, that scene was. <laughs> oh, right along the show, that was one of the ones that struck out the most to me because, God, that one was just unnerving the whole time. I think because of the silence. Oh yeah, it, that's another instance where silence 
can build tension um and it does it so well in that scene and it's just i don't know the scene was kind of comical to me because like the kid was messing with this stuff and he would he would stop then you know would keep messing weird uh, yeah and then i think it's because he lust he lusts after that woman veronica very much morally uh flexible shall we say yes yes um so I think that's why he deserved, you know, whatever happened to him. But it, yeah, because he came back to the castle for her at the end, um, which that was a fa- fantastic scene. And, uh, and Von Sydow sells the performance completely. It almost reminds me of Colin Clive's work in the original uh, Universal ha- Frankenstein movies. Just like that, wearing the wearing like those beady eyes and just like. I mean, like that's in withdrawnness to it. Yeah. Oh, that's more over the top, obviously, because 30s film acting. I mean, that was where the read it for the cheap seats mentality was in full effect. This is a lot more um, subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some of this film is like, it's difficult to watch on purpose, you know? Just like seeing how bad of a husband he is. Hmm. I found those scenes kind of like, you know. Perhaps discomforting but like in a way that it was supposed to be you know like how she loves him so much and he's just kind of like you know chill out whatever um he was he was just so withdrawn and distant distant from her and it you know there was that conflict there and it just made me uncomfortable there's actually i just learned something interesting actually there's there was a back in 2011 there was actually a stage adaptation of this film oh interesting Yep. I could totally see that. That'd be interesting. I wish... God, I wish I had a time machine now. Uh-huh. I'd love to see a, st- or a stage adaptation. Yeah. I feel like there could be a stage adaptation of The Lighthouse also. It wouldn't be I'm not so sure about that. Or it's good. Because like, I think the, the one thing film that Raina like, indisputably does better than the stage is intimacy. Yeah. Where, like, you really can't get too close to, or in close to a protagonist. They're always at a distance. Where, like, there's, like, a, we're in an invisible wall, which mm. I am not the first person to point that out, and nor will I be the last. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, just, I've just never been into stage plays, musicals. Neither, neither am I, but I'm, start, but I'm getting around to appreciating them more, mostly because I'm starting to know more performing arts majors. Yep. Nice. Thank God I did not go to high school with theater kids. Thank God. <laughs> Yeah, I was a phenomenon that I know or that I know of. I am afraid of them as just as much as everyone else is. But I'm <laughs> glad I had that that bit of distance. Anyway, anything else you've seen this week? That's um, I rewatched Persona, which was so awesome. Um, I rewatched Good Will Hunting, which was good. Um. I rewatched this month. I have not gotten around to any yet, but I'm I'm going to. I'm on my fall rewatch list of my uh, fall films. Um, so I, I watched. I say Paul... that for like November and December because it's the end of the year. It's the holiday season. Or yeah. Season, so it's more of a time to unwind. I, I treat October as my okay. This is all right, my the horror movies I have yet to watch. Bam, 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 bam. Let's get this no- knocked out. So. I okay. Recently, I watched. Nice. I have been hit or miss on Dario Argento because I 
thought both versions of Suspiria were kind of underwhelming, if I'm being honest. I mean, like, there's great parts of both of them, but I just don't think they ultimately either version really clicks with me. That being okay. said, I was quite fond of Bird with a Crystal Plumage. It is one of his, or in the films he did before Suspiria, and I, it's not as colorful or in full, but it is, ju I'd argue, just as visually inventive or inventive and strange and arresting, and yeah, and also has like a lot of Italian horror movies, the dubbing problems, but it's a really interesting, but or in Mr. Or in Re it's visually quite inventive. Like the opening kill scene is really quite arresting, quite arresting with that glass ring cage in front of that apartment. Looks just, ugh, it's indescribable. What is also, it called? Noting, uh, by Ennio Marcone. Nice. Shot by the DP who shot Apocalypse Now. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, I, I want to get uh, around to... Which, uh, anyway, speaking of the lighthouse, I actually... It, here would be an interesting triple fe feature I propose to you, listeners. The Lighthouse, Hour of the Wolf, Tide. Night Tide was one of the early feature starring roles of one Dennis Hopper. It's about a mm. uh, sailor who uh, wanders around a uh, beach town and ends up falling in love with a uh, carnival performer who may or may not have a dark past. That and uh, how very that interesting. It's not wow. it's not as subtle as this is, but it is very it's very atmospheric. It's a it really is an entertaining watch, and it's got some really cool lighting. Really cool. Nice. Cheesy sucks, I, but I really, but I think that's what adds to the charm. I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. All in context. Um, I want to get around to. Uh, I want to start watching yep. the '70s horror collection. Um, which ones would you recommend from there? I actually have started. There's a few titles that I'm already familiar with on there, like obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously, I mean, obviously the. Or in the um, surprisingly, I still haven't seen the Hills Have Hills Have Eyes yet. I did, or I did discover uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death on that one though, so that was cool. Um, if I was gonna pair a double feature with any of the movies in that collection, do that and Im Robert Altman's Images. Both are very similar, but ultimately yield different results. Interesting. I'll, uh... Yeah, I'll look into that. And uh, if there's one thing I'd say, let, let's scare Jessica to death has in common with this, I'd say the last 20 minutes are the strongest point in the movie. Yep. Nice. Anyway, I'm not... It feels weird not having a lot to say about this. Yeah, I mean, like... Once you watch it, I feel like... I don't know. It says... Yeah. It says there so much with saying so little. I've written about the... This and there's also uh, experience that's not the slide either of us, or any of us. Let's just being honest. Just... Yeah, yeah. We're 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 just college kids. Yep. Yeah, that's the fun of it. That's the. It is. It is. Yep. We don't we don't know what we're doing, but uh, yep. we're we're just and doing it. Uh, it does make sense because, Randy, if I if I may address a little bit of business, we're sorry for for missing last week's episode, but Randy, but as a as a bit of good faith, we're gonna be Randy. You're not getting one episode this week. You're getting two. Next yes. or in next episode, we'll be, we're gonna be having a good friend of the show on to discuss, discuss something that is less subtle or subtle and far noisier, but all or in, but a lot more vibrant and a lot stranger in some ways. So keep that in the back of your mind. Or in next episode, we get into some real cage rage. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Get in the cage. Cage. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> 
What would you give us out of a Letterboxd? We are and just search our names, Jack Rourke and Chandler Williams, respectively. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's just at Warp Celluloid. If you want, again, our DMs are open. If you want a, a film for us to cover or you want a guest on the show, DM us and we'll work something out. We missed the rating. What would you give this out of 10? Oh, shit. I almost forgot. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, man. I've been running around, running around a lot this week. No, that's um, okay. This... God, you're going to kill me for this. Like a 7 out of 10? Yeah. Okay. No, I, 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 I get that. I, I would give it an 8. It's a good, it's a good Halloween one, but uh, in, definitely an interesting one. It's, it reminds me of whenever I'm poking out a watch list of stuff to check out for Halloween. It's right, like obviously there's st- stuff I watch every year: Creepshow, Evil Dead Two, the Universal Monster movies, The Guest. Right, but there's all I always try to throw in some art house stuff in there just to like right have a variety. Yeah, yeah. yeah as much variety as like we're in a big bag of Halloween candy. Ah, uh, great analogy. That was a very terrible analogy, in my opinion. <laughs> so cheesy. But, you know, uh, it, it a fits. good cheesy Whatever one, works. yeah. The shoe fits where yeah. Any other cliches I can name. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Chandler, you got any other words? Um, That's about it. Uh, keep the art house alive. Yep. Um, yeah, thanks Your for listening. Vibes grooving, man. Which feels fitting because this came out in the late 60s, so I don't feel anachronistic saying that. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for listening. We will get back to you very shortly. Take care.